Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. Do you have plans August 25th and 26th? Add Leading Reliability Conference to your calendar. Join Iridicio, RDI Technologies, Fluke Reliability, and UE Systems for a live and in-person conference in Clearwater, Florida. Hear from the top industry leaders on industry hot topics. Each company will also be hosting pre- and post-event workshops. Don't miss out on the event of the year. To learn more about the Leading Reliability Conference and to register for the event, visit www.leadingreliability.com or check them out on LinkedIn. It is my pleasure to welcome Dane Boers to the podcast. Welcome, Dane. Hey, how you going? It's going well. Thanks for asking. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us today to talk about a topic I don't think gets enough attention, and that is asset modeling. Now, many people may think that's very similar to RAMS modeling and all those other things. And we're going to kind of sort some of that out today. But before we dive into that, you are the founder and consultant for Modella. Uh, now, Modla. Yep. It's like Modla. The Sorry. on the word models. Yep. All right. So Modla. Now, although super brief, can you give us an introduction to yourself, Modla, all those other things? Sure. Um, so uh, my name's Dane. I've been... Uh, involved in maintenance and reliability for pretty much my whole career. Um, I started out in mining uh, and oil and gas probably close to 15 years ago now. Um, moved into some consultancy roles uh, and more recently, um, two years ago, started this this business um, that's pretty much focused on asset modeling and we'll get into what that is in a second. Uh, during, during my career at a lot of the kind of repetitive tasks that we would do um, just really got to me. And that's one of the reasons why I started this is to kind of make the all, all of the reliability processes um, more efficient and more automated. So, yeah, in a nutshell, that's, that's where I'm at. So, All right, perfect. So what is asset modeling? Because that's what the focus of Modla is, is asset modeling. So what is that? So it's it's a new term. Like I, we pretty much came up with it because there was nothing else that described it that was out there. So um, it's essentially like an extension of a lot of those things that you just said before, like RAMS modeling and RCM and um, anything to do with with asset knowledge and asset knowledge capture. We see asset modeling as being the glue that ties all of those elements together. So it's essentially digitize or digitalization of asset knowledge um, and we need a framework to work within so um, it's not good enough to just take copies of Famicas and digitize them and make them electronic copies or take copies of uh, job plans or work instructions or the typical paper-based things and make like a carbon copy of it you really need to um, break those apart and structure it in a framework that makes it easy to query and use. And the whole goal of asset modeling is to have one central 
like repo or, or store of knowledge for a particular asset class for your business or for your organization. Um, and what I mean by this is like, let's say everything that you know about pumps goes into one structure. Um, and that, that includes things like, you know, failure data and um, uh, failure mode level detail and tasks that you can do on that and decision-making logic from the, the subject matter experts and operators and maintainers. And all of that stuff gets captured in, in a single place, in a single framework. Um, and then the goal is to use that framework as the source for, or use that, that um, knowledge base rather, as the source to answer business queries like, you know, when, when I'm setting a budget for the next five years or when I'm determining priorities for um, like eliminate or defects or something like that or when I'm wanting to optimize maintenance strategy or when I'm trying to calculate remaining life for stuff. Like all of the information that I need should be within that framework. Um, and so it's a single, basically to summarize, it's basically a, a framework that captures asset knowledge in a single place that you can use to query and answer business decisions. All right. I got a couple of questions for you just to make sure, you know, everyone's on the same page. Sure. First, what is an asset class? Because I've heard a couple of different definitions thrown around. So I want to make sure everyone's on the same page. Yeah, there's, there's probably a few around there and it, it doesn't really matter to us. But um, what we're saying is uh, it's not a specific pump or specific motor or specific gearbox or anything like that. It's all of those combined into sort of a um, asset type or asset class. I, I'm not going to sort of debate the nuances of it. it. It doesn't matter to us, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? Like it's the next level up where it contains all the different types of um, pumps or, or, or gearboxes or motors or, you know, valves or whatever it is. So we're kind of grouping them instead of going down to that specific asset level, we're grouping them one level up because a lot of the information is common to, um, to all the assets within that class. Okay, perfect. And then the second question I have is you mentioned this structure contains all that organizational knowledge, asset data, failure data, all those different types of things. Yep. So does that take into account what we know about failure modes and the operating context on those failure modes, how they influence them, what are, what's impactful, what's not, those types of things? Yeah, exactly. So um, there's, there's a few elements to that. We have the, the failure mode itself um, and then all the like causal factors that can, can change the likelihood or, or um, probability distributions of that failure mode happening. And some of those may be um, related to the asset specifics themselves. Um, some of them might be environmental, some of them might be operational, and some of them are like conditional type uh, inputs, right? So we'll, we'll get into some examples of that later, uh, I think, when we talk about the um, data that's required to build the asset models. But um, but yeah, it, it's it's not just capturing the failure modes, it's capturing, like it's expanding that system boundary to all the, the possible things that can influence the performance of that asset. And in that you, you capture, um, you know, what, what types of operational parameters are going to change the way this performs and fails. And so things like duty, number of stop starts, you know, how hard you run it, loading, that kind of thing might, might have a influence on 
some failure modes but not others and may increase things like wear on certain components but won't do anything for like corrosion say so um, those relationships between those inputs and the failure modes um, are part of this glue that's that's the sort of connection or causal links um, that join all the pieces of information and data in an asset model together okay so that really gives us a good representation of what's going to happen out there and what we need to do about it then yeah um you'll find though that like it it's all um like statistical like probability predictions so when you say a good good idea of what's going to happen it's still kind of like it it may reduce the life from you know 10 years on this this wear component to seven years on this wear component but there's still like a range in which it it can fail and so it just it kind of sharpens your pencil and, and updates your um, your prediction with the reasons why and uh, like it, there's still a, an element of variance and an element of unknown um, in that unless you're doing like you know detailed condition assessments lot really frequently or you've got some sort of conmons um, or predictive tech on your equipment that can inform you up to up to date then you get like tighter bands on your predictions but um, but yeah. All right. Perfect. So how can companies leverage this asset model to develop effective strategies then? Um, you know, is there like an RCM component? Is there a risk-based inspection component? How are we establishing these mod, uh, the strategies through this modeling pro- process? So that's a good question. So to, to answer this first, you need to understand, um, how the process works. Okay. So there's, um, there's like pretty much three components to what we're doing. One is the first bit is the asset model itself and capturing all that sort of knowledge and data and logic within the model. And then you use that model in the second part, which is to perform some sort of analysis or calculation or answer a business query. Okay. And then from that, the last bit is turning that answer into a, a, a digestible format for the organization, like, you know, integrations or SAP loaders or documents or business like Power BI um, dashboards or whatever that is. But but your question spans the first two elements, which is how like structuring your data and and then answering a question. And the question in this case is like, what's the best strategy for my company to use? Um, and what I would say is that a lot of the or pretty much all of the RCM level detail that you need to answer that question needs to be contained in the model if you want to perform some sort of RCM um, based strategy optimization as an analysis part which comes off which is the second part um, so yeah you, you put all your failure mode level information in but we also put in um, all the possible tasks and interventions that we can do from like um, inspections to overhauls to um, you know seal replacements and sort of subtasks and things like that as well as all the conmon things that all lives within the model then the analysis might be okay which which of those tasks that I'm considering um, gives me the best cost benefit or best overall life cycle cost or lowers the risk like there's a there's a question here that you want to ask and and uh um, a, a method in which you want to solve it. So your business might just say, give me the best cost benefit 
tasks to do and the timings of those. And so that analysis will go and test throughout the future which tasks and and what timings can give you the best result and then say, here's your recommendation. Do this inspection yearly um, and do an overhaul in five years and forget the rest. None of those are cost beneficial, for example. But that's just, that's a function of the the way in which you want to solve the knowledge that's in the model, if that makes sense. Um, And then you go to some other sort of industry like oil and gas where they use a different method completely, which is like RBI. And the, the underlying knowledge should be the same, but the analysis that you run off the back of that is different. Um, with RBI, you're, you're trying to see when a, a risk threshold gets crossed and then you're, you're scheduling a, an inspection or a, a, a task at that point. And it's not like a cost-benefit trade-off type solve, if, if that makes sense. So, um, so in that case, you've got one pressure vessel or the same model but two different ways of solving it for different industries. All right, perfect. So, you know, we can customize these models to solve it for these different industries. What type of data do we need? So we kind of mentioned, you know, you have to know your failure modes, your asset class, some of the operational data. Where do we get all that and what else do we need? Um, good question. So it starts off being pretty simple. Um, the way we, The way we build these is like, uh, for usually for a specific asset, so um, you go into a, into a business and they say, "I've got this this one." I'm going to use pumps again as an example. This one pump um, over here in in this section of the plant, and we'll build like what you would consider a typical Famica or um, RCM kind of structure for it. I'll put all failure rates against everything, um, add all the tasks and things in applicable to that pump, and then you've got a model that represents that one pump only okay uh, and then you, the the progression of that is okay you move to the next pump um and it's slightly different maybe it's a positive displacement pump instead of a centrifugal pump and a different size or something like that um, and there might be some other dimensions like it's pumping a different process fluid and and so on so you take the original model um, and then you expand it to accommodate for okay well now we need to know what type of pump it is that's important so that becomes an input to the model. We also need to know um, what type of process fluid it's pumping. That becomes an input to the model. And that, that's linked to um, turning on and off certain components and changing failure distributions. And now we're, we're removing the uh, impeller and we're adding like all the positive displacement pump components when that different pump type is selected. So it kind of expands and grows as your uh, equipment uh, and operational contexts and stuff vary, and the goal is to then have one one pump model that does all of your pumps on site. Now you can you can kind of take this to the next level and start expanding that across industries and and so on. And but yeah, that's kind of where we're heading with it. There's a lot of collaboration in in the water industry with these type of things because they all want to share information and share data which which is a really cool outcome of this approach but um, in terms of what data you need um, it's at, at a basic level it's just um, usually what comes out of your like uh, asset hierarchies and things like that so uh, installation dates and how old everything is um, as a base uh, but then every time we expand that model to account for a new type and and a new input gets created so that you need to know 
what type of pump it is, what type of impeller it has, um, what type of process fluid it has, and so on. They become new data points, right? And so you, your the, the the volume of information that you need to feed it becomes bigger and bigger because now those other points are important to know for some because they're tied back to um, the performance of the asset in some way. Uh, with an approach like this, you can also default everything, right? So if you don't know what type of um, pump it is, it's going to assume like a default centrifugal pump of this size, pumping this fluid and, and all that kind of stuff. So you can take a model off the shelf and just use it. It won't. It just won't be super accurate because um, it's there's a whole bunch of assumptions made, but they're they're documented out, so you know exactly what it's assuming. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL Blended Learning for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. All right, excellent. Now, we talked about getting an effective strategy for your industry as an output. What else are we getting from an output from this? Just the tasks we're doing at what frequency or is there more to it? So as I said again, again there's the, the determination of like a maintenance strategy or an asset strategy um, is a type of question or analysis that you want to run on that under, underlying knowledge. You can run any any type of analysis that you want. So we've got... Um, ones that are doing maintenance strategy optimization, like you said. We've got clients that are um, using it to build job plans and work instructions. We've got clients that are using it for informing budgets. Um, we've got clients that are using it for um, uh, doing things like equipment selection, which is which is kind of like saying, I have a model for um, a whole bunch of different types of equipment what's the best one to put into this specific spot with this uh, with this application with this duty with this um uh like process medium with this sort of criticality or or consequence levels and it says you should pick this type of equipment with this you know ip rating and this uh, these characteristics because that'll give you the best sort of performance that's just another example um there's like operational uh, optimization, there's um, intervention trade-offs, there's creating spares, holdings levels. You can use it for anything because it, theoretically everything that you know about pumps and how, or, and the pumps that you have and how they operate is contained within that, that model. So you should, you should be able to query it to answer any question you've got. It may not use all the, the parts and, and all of the data that's in there, but um, because it's a mechanism to catch capture SME logic, anything that you would go to SMEs for to answer a business question should be able to be answered automatically by this approach as well. All right, perfect. Now, once we have the data we want or the information we need from this model, we start applying it in real life. As we uncover failures that occur, other things that are going on with these assets, do we just go back to that asset model in the, the structure and update our environmental considerations, different wear mechanisms we're seeing or rates of what those are, that type of thing to really get a, a more refined model based on what we're seeing in the field? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things to touch on here. Um, one is that 
it, it's a really cool mechanism for capturing things like RCA results. So if you did an RCA on, on a piece of equipment and found um, there's a new failure mode that you hadn't considered before, um, then then you add that failure mode in. You add the the uh, causes or causal tree in. So what what has led to that? Was it environmental or operational issues that that have kind of led to that? You can put in your mitigating tasks and all of that kind of thing. So it's a cool way to capture that that knowledge around um, around failures. F- from the point of uh, data capture and failure rate capture and things, single failures tend not to skew the model too much because you know it's one sample and because it's probabilistic. As long as it's in the kind of bounds of um, reason, then you know it, it, it's not going to change the statistics too much. Um, but if you had longer periods of time with lots and lots of failures on a specific config, then yeah, you go back and you can update the, the failure rates and so on. Um, the other thing that it kind of overlaps with is um, updating the model to represent current condition. So I'm not talking about a failure here, but if you go out and you do a condition assessment, whether it's like visual or whether it's conmon or whether it's PDM, um, you actually what you're doing is you're updating your understanding of the current state of that uh, piece of equipment, and and it may not even be a, like full equipment. It might be just component like a bearing, vibration, or something like that. And you need to be able to use that information and link that back into the model to say, okay, this specific asset now has high temp on or, or high vibration on the drive end bearing. What does that mean in terms of like? the failure modes and the, and their distributions for, for the future projections. So um, that may mean that, you know, it, it, it's decreased its life or, or what, but that's a piece of the puzzle that not many people have thought about yet because you, to be able to get good use out of predictive tech, you need to be able to link it back to its effect on each failure mode because, and, and it's not good enough just to say, oh, we think it's going to fail in the next six months. Because if it's not linked back to a failure mode level, um, then determining what to do about it is a bit harder. Um, and it's hard to do the cost benefit to see if you should keep running it to failure or what. I mean, some cases are clear cut, right? You just pull it out and put a new one in because it's super critical and it costs a lot. Um, it, I'm not arguing with that. It's more the, the sort of borderline ones. What do we do? Um, you need to you need to understand exactly what that condition assessment means in terms of it's okay, it's more likely to fail due to this and due to this. And therefore we should do an intervention that just replaces the bearing and not replaces the whole, um, the whole piece of equipment, for example. So there's a few mechanisms for feeding back data back into the model, whether it's updating failure characteristics, adding new modes, adding new tasks and that kind of thing. And it's designed to be like a continuously improving and evolving um, model like software versions that get revved up. So, all right, perfect. Now, if an organization wants to start this asset modeling process, would having a good asset hierarchy start or help build that model? Because you know, depending on how we build it, if we build it for example, a small operating unit with all these different components, or we go down even lower than that, um, would a hierarchy help with that? And that asset data? Yeah. As a start, we tend to go at it from the other way. Um, We tend to be like an SME first approach when building these things. Um, 
because what what we find is that the SME and and operators and maintainers and whoever else is knowledgeable on that asset class they they know what's important and why but it's not necessarily reflected in the asset data and I'll give you an example we did we did a, a model for a water utility um, in Victoria recently and we were building a model for sewage pump stations and the operator said the the abrasiveness of the fluid that's going through these sewage pump stations has major impacts because it erodes impellers it um you know creates like the non-return valves to like break down and pass and it like just all these sort of wear mechanisms get accelerated because of the abrasive process fluid and so that that's just sand in the in the sewage right and um and then we're like okay so that's important and we can adjust the failure rates of those those modes based on how abrasive the process fluid is and then it comes to the point where we need to feed that model with data and they don't have information on how abrasive the process fluid is so and it's not captured anywhere it's not captured in this the cmms's or anything like that so they know it they know that it's something important and it has a, an effect on the performance of the asset and so we can document it and capture the logic that they want to use even though it's assumption driven um, but then they can't they can't feed it with actual data from their CMMS yet. But coming at it from an SME viewpoint first means that we can identify the gaps in their data and what, what's important and what they should be looking to obtain, even though this, this particular one may not be super realistic to, to go, and, go and get. They know it's important and, yeah, it's kind of all, all documented. So the, it, the other thing is like asset um, hierarchy data may have a bunch of stuff in it that we don't end up using or that we don't think is relevant to asset performance. Um, and we, we need to kind of cross-check those. So it's kind of cool to come at it from both ways, like build the model, have a look at the data, and then marry them up and see where all the gaps are. Um, so good asset hierarchy is a good start. Um, the hierarchy itself, like the levels of plant and all of that kind of stuff, doesn't matter too much to us. Um, we prefer to model things at the lowest sort of asset level like pumps and motors and gearboxes and that kind of thing um and not so much a system level uh like small facilities or small um sewage pump stations for example is is a combination of different pumps and motors so that that's like a, a facility level type model we can do those but um if you if you keep it lower level you get more detail and better results out of it except there's a trade-off there because it's harder to um, plan work at that level like you typically send people out to a facility or, a, or an area and do a whole bunch of things all at once so there's some there's some trade-offs to be made with the level of level that you model it at all right excellent now thinking what well, you know as we're looking at capital projects have you seen clients do asset modeling for maybe two different asset classes to see which one would be better long-term from a, a cost perspective, from a performance perspective, those sorts of things kind of, you know, allow us to figure out life cycle costing and balance that with performance. Um, within the same asset class, you mean like two different types of, you know, pumps, for example, or. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I was talking about with the equipment selection type optimizations that we can do. Um, one example of this was like um, in the electricity distribution 
industry. They have, you, you know, all those poles that are around your street that hold hold up the power lines and, and just the, the, you know, all the, the distribution equipment that goes around your streets yep. and things. So they've got a whole bunch of different types of poles that they can use. They've got timber ones, different treatments, um, there's steel ones, concrete ones, um, and so on. And they're, obviously the steel and concrete ones are more expensive, but they perform better in certain areas, in certain environments, right? Like you want to put um, the, you want to keep the timber ones out of the tropics as much as you, you can because they, they tend to rot with the like additional moisture. Um, you want to keep the, um, the steel ones away from the coast because they get corroded and things like that. So they're kind of, the equipment is better suited and you get better life cycle costs um, in different geographical areas for, for electricity distribution. And so we can pass through those those geographical and environmental and operational and critical like information of each of the areas and parts of the network and determine what type of asset is or what type of pole is best suited for each application. Um, and so I think that's where, where you're going. But it's not it's not so much a blanket program of works level decision where you go, these these poles are more cost beneficial overall. It's the answer that comes out is these types of poles are suited best for these applications and will give you the best result for these applications. And those applications include yeah, the environmental context, the operational context, like how critical it is and that kind of thing. And how, because another consideration with that is like, um, you do, you want to put ones that last a long time in areas where you don't have really good access to, so you don't have to go out there all the time. So they might put, you know, steel or concrete ones in the middle of cities so that they're not going in there all the time, like, um, you know, intervening and inspecting, inspecting them as much. So there's a whole bunch of different considerations, but, um, but yeah. It, it's it's easy to do that type of analysis when all of your knowledge is in the one model, um, all of your different variants of poles and things is in the one model. If you're trying to do that trade off where the sources of information are coming from everywhere, it's it's a lot harder. All right, excellent. So, but we we have that ability. We can use that data, run two or three different models based on environmental considerations, all those other things, and figure out what's optimized for that operating context. Yeah, correct. Perfect. Now. What's the one thing you think makes the biggest difference in being successful with asset modeling? Is it that subject matter expertise? Is it, you know, having all those failure modes documented? What's, if someone wants to use uh, Modla and build a model for themselves, what do they do to be successful? Yeah, the, the, the framework that we use covers most of the how you should structure it um, parts, right? So we're, we're big on how all the data hangs together and how it's all connected and how we should use it. Um, what we don't have is the SME expertise on every asset class, right? So that, that's the big one. Um, getting knowledgeable people who can understand, not just understand the asset, but understand like how we're breaking it up and, um, how we're structuring it, like failure mode level information and all of that kind of thing is, is, pretty huge um the other thing is that there needs to be a willingness to understand that the data that they have and their the information or, or the knowledge that they have is imperfect and you need to be able to go 
okay, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. We're going to run with this assumption until until we can like prove otherwise or until data comes to light to show us that it's it's not uh, and my my kind of hypothesis is either validated or disproven um so uh, i would say probably um half of the stuff that goes into our models is just opinion and and this is my best guess at the time and then being able to sort of go okay this this is a mechanism for continuous improvement let's let's move on and we'll come back to that when we when our thinking around that particular element changes so it's yeah it's a combination of being being knowledgeable about the asset understanding the structure and um being able to document everything that you know and run with that until and until you can kind of update your your thinking or update your um, data or or whatever it is all right. Excellent. Now, what's the one action you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today? We talked a lot about asset modeling, you know, how if we have data, that's perfect. If not, we'll use some assumptions and we'll kind of improve it over time as we get, gather more insight. Um, what do you want them to do with all this? Um, so uh, there's, there's one key thing that we kind of didn't touch on, which was th- one of the reasons why we started this business was because we envisioned a future state where, and I don't know if this is like five, ten years from now or, or even longer, um, but we're, we're moving towards a, a prescriptive um, system approach to things. And what I mean by that is uh, these, these type of systems like the ones that we're building um, will prescribe you like here's here's what we think you should do. Here's your best cost benefit um, uh, maintenance tasks to do. Or here's what I think your budget should be for next year. Or here's what I think your spares holding levels should be. And and it's basically providing a recommendation that the the companies or the reliability engineers or the end users can can either accept or reject or whatever. But it's based on data and it's based on the analysis that we've performed. Right. Um, to get to that to that point. You can't do it with by by digitizing current um, current practices. You can't just take um, your famicas and your job plans and stuff and digitize them. You you really need to pull them apart and restructure it so that you can query that information and and test different scenarios and understand the relationships between like tasks and failure modes and then what their subsequent events are and what comes off the back of that and the secondary actions and all the costs and risks and stuff. And you can't get to that point using the frameworks that we have today um, because it's really about these these causal links between each of the elements and things like CMMS systems are good for capturing data as it is, but there's a gap there that they don't capture all the links between things um, in a way that is, in, a, in, a, in the way that we understand it. So... Um, we almost have to take a step back and restructure our data into a, a better format to be able to then get to that future state in five or ten years. And so, um, I would say to companies now, like start thinking about it's not so much going and getting more data and all that kind of stuff. That'll just come with time and as the company matures. But, but start thinking about how you're actually capturing it and and try not to just digitize things. Try to digitalize them and break them up and really understand them and capture them um, in, in a better way. All right. 
Excellent. Well, Dan, I want to thank you for talking to us about asset modeling today. But before we go, where can people find out more about you, Modla, asset modeling, all these great things that we've talked about today? Um, we've got our website, modeler.co. You can go check that out. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So hit me up on LinkedIn, send me a message and, and we can have a chat. Um, I'm also going to a few conferences com- coming up, mainly in Australia. I know a lot of the, the listeners here are in, in the US. Um, so I won't be heading over there anytime soon. I don't think it's not in my current plans, but, uh, but LinkedIn is probably where you can best find me. So, all right, perfect. I'll make sure to put links to your LinkedIn profile, modla.com or .co, sorry, on the website. Um, that way people can quickly access it, get information on there. Now, I always like asking, what are your favorite go-to resources for this type of stuff? Is it, you know, an RCM book? Is it a prescriptive maintenance article? You know, what's your go-to resources for these types of things? Um, it's interesting because there's not too many out there on, on exactly what we're doing. Um, it's, it's essentially a combination of a whole bunch of different things. So you've got your, your typical RCM books like RCM two and so on. Um, I bet you everyone that gets on this podcast recommends those. So I won't, I won't go down that path again. Um, we're, we're heavily involved in a lot of the mathematics and, um, underlying statistics for, for reliability. So rely wiki is like a really good resource for us. It's got all the like maths formulas and stuff, um, on there, but it, there's some gaps in that too, right? Like we've got some, you know, additional things that that doesn't have that if, if you want more information on sort of, um, projection into the future of, of reliability distributions, then hit me up. I'll, I'll talk your ear off on that stuff. Um, but one of the really cool books that I've read recently that um, really aligns to this causal inference and causal modeling and connecting everything up um, is called The Book of Why. And it's by a, a computer scientist called Judea Pearl. Judea Pearl. Um, highly recommend having a read of that. It, it kind of highlights some of the same issues that I've talked about today in that you can't... Um, determine different interventions and things using the current as as is or current state data you really need to have this next level of abstraction on how everything's causally linked um and it explains it a lot better than i can i can uh, articulate on this podcast but have a, have a read of that book i think is is probably my if you were to take one thing away grab the book of why by judea pearl and have a read all right perfect yeah rely a wiki you know that is a great resource for reliable reliability growth analysis, you know, your traditional RAM models, all those things. Um, but I haven't heard of the book of why yet. So I'm definitely going to have to add that to my already large pile of books on my nightstand. <laughs> yep. Get to it. Get to it. It's, it's well, definitely I, worth a read. Excellent. Now, Dane, once again, I want to thank you for talking to us today about this. Definitely got some takeaways, uh, better understand asset modeling and how this leads into prescriptive maintenance and all those other things. Um, So I definitely appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews 
that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing the small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.